Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. It is so, so exciting for us to be welcoming Matt Davis up to the front. Let's give him a round of applause. Matt is just amazing and very loved, as you can hear. And um, Matt is the, uh, the youth pastor here at Emmaus. And when you arrived, Matt, there was, I mean, there was literally two and a half children, weren't there? And, and we decided we needed, <laughs> it was, yeah, we decided we needed uh, a youth worker. And, um, and Matt has just done the most phenomenal job of, of growing the youth work here at Emmaus and discipling our young people. And you can tell by the fan club at the back <laughs> just how much they love Matt. Um, but in all seriousness, we, we really believe that our young people and our kids deserve the absolute best, and that's why we heard Matt. So it's a real privilege to have you share with us tonight, Matt. I'd love to just pray for you. Why don't we do what Mike Crown likes to call a Jedi prayer for Matt? Is that what it is, a Jedi thing? I don't know about Star Trek and Star Wars, but... <laughs> I said the wrong one, didn't I? Okay, reach your... <laughs> Let's reach our hands out towards Matt and, um, and we'll pray for him. Jesus, thank you for Matt. Thank you for um, the message that he's carrying. Um, Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to us tonight and we long to hear from you, God. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint Matt for this task and use him to speak to each one of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Hannah. Guys, thanks for having me tonight. Um, I'd be here anyway, just sat at the back instead of here. Um, so most of the time when I speak to people, they are like under the age of maybe 16. So if I break into like a icebreaker or start getting your right post-it notes or something, just kind of roll with it. That's, that's just how we roll as youth pastors. Um, I used to actually um, invite quite a lot of participation when I spoke to people. So like, you know, I'd like, I'd start off my talk and be like, you know, if you just want to chip in, just pop your hand up or just shout it out, it's fine. Like, it's totally cool. But um, shortly after I arrived at Emmaus, um, I was doing a little talk just to some of the teenagers and, um, and it was going all right. You know, I'm just standing at the front, doing my thing. I was like, I, f I felt like it was good. And then this girl at the back, she was like 14, just puts her hand in the air. Mike Crown remembers this. Puts her hand in the air. And if you've done youth work before, you'll understand how big this moment is. You're like delivering a message and someone's actually listening. And they've actually put their hand up and they actually want to participate in what you've got to say. It's a big moment. It's like, that's like the big brownie Gold, brownie gold star? Is that a thing? I don't know. Anyway, it's like a gold star for a youth worker. So, so this girl puts her hand up in the air, and I'm like, I stop, like, midpoint, and I'm like, yes. Do you have a question? She goes, yeah. You nearly finished yet? <laughs> so I don't really invite participation anymore, so if you've got any thoughts, keep them to yourselves. We can chat afterwards. That's totally cool. Um, so um, last week... Adam spoke on the little series we're working through at the moment. Um, we've been going through a series all about ambition. Anyone caught any of the ambition talks? 
A few people, good, good. Anyone call Adam's talk? Not many. <laughs> it was good though, Adam. I liked it. If you haven't caught Adam's talk, you definitely should because it was really, really good. And he talked about professional ambition. What does it mean to follow Jesus whilst also being ambitious in the things we do with our lives? But also, like, how do we stay humble in that as well? I found it really challenging. It was awesome. And he showed us this little video um, about the Brownlee brothers. Now, if, you don't, if you're not into triathlons or athletics in any kind, um, there was, there's these two triathletes and they're brothers called Johnny and Alistair Brownlee. And they're awesome. They're like the best in the world, maybe. Pretty close. Naomi? Close. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Okay. So he showed us this video and they, you know, they're in this race and Alistair, the older one, pushes Johnny, the younger brother, over the line in front of him in this race. And it's an amazing moment. And this whole idea of what does it mean as people that follow Jesus to put other people first, to prefer the other person, to like push other people in front of ourselves. And um, today... I'm not going to talk about ambition, but I think it's linked. So it's going to be good. Now, um, who here loves getting new stuff? Has anyone got the newest iPhone? No one. What a poor church. Oh, one person. Now, I, I, I love getting new stuff. And I love getting new phones. And um, recently, my wonderful wife, Path, four months in, it's going well. She got a new phone. Now, not a brand new phone. It was an iPhone 6, which is like pretty new. I think it's maybe like two earlier than the recent one. Yeah. It's still got a headphone jack on it, like a headphone thing. And, um, and she got a new phone. And the reason she got a new phone was because the one she had, she had this like iPhone 5, and it had been through like five screens. We'd like had to replace it over and over again. None of the buttons worked. When people phoned you, you couldn't actually hear what they were saying. And um, she had to do that little thing. You know with the, with the like home button where you have to have like a fake button on the screen? You know that thing? She was like doing that. It was properly destroyed. So um, we decided enough's enough. We need to get Path a new phone to destroy. So we went down to game, and we bought her a second-hand iPhone 6S. 6, something. Anyway, it's the one with a big screen. And it's awesome. But ever since, I have been obsessed with getting myself a new phone because I love new things so much. So um, I've got this um, iPhone 5S, which is now three and a half years old. And I love it, but it just will not break. Like, it won't die. And we've got this, we got this agreement between us, because we're, like, really good with money, that um, I'm only allowed a new phone when this one finally, like, breathes its last and will not work anymore. So over the last few months, I've been looking for any opportunity to just, like, declare this thing dead. And so um, the other day, the home button, the, the lock button on the top, like, it still works, but it doesn't click quite as well as it used to. Apparently, that wasn't quite enough. The, um, the Touch ID thing doesn't work anymore. Again, apparently, you can still use the phone. You just have to put the code in, so that wasn't enough. Um, the other day, I was at a friend's house, and I, I plugged in my phone to charge it. And uh, I left it there for like an hour. And then I went back to it to like check out it was getting on. It was a long time without it. So I went over to check, and I was like, this thing's broken. Like, it's not charging. And like outwardly, I'm like, this is a nightmare. I'm going to need a new phone. But inside, I'm like, this is the day I've been waiting for, for months. This is awesome. And then Jess and Josh and Em and the people I was with were like, Matt, you know, the USB isn't actually plugged into the, like, socket thing. 
And then I did, and then it worked. So this thing is good. I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm happy with it. But I really, really like new stuff. Now, more than new stuff, I really like new stuff that other people have. Anyone else like that? So when someone else has something new that I don't have, I really want it. So in restaurants is the best moment because I'll like hang back and wait for everyone else to order before I order my food in case someone ends up with something that I decide I actually want and have that whole like food jealousy thing, you know? So I love new stuff and I love new stuff that other people have. I had a friend when I was a kid called Matt Corkett. He was cooler than me. He got to watch 15s and he had an N64. He was awesome. And he, for his birthday, got a Mongoose Menace. Now, a Mongoose Menace, if you're not into BMXing like me, is a, um, a bike, a BMX bike. It's for, like, doing tricks and stuff. And it's green, and it says Mongoose Menace on it. And he got it for his birthday when we were about 10, and it was the most exciting moment of both of our lives. And I, for the next few months, like, just constantly going at my parents, like, I really want a Mongoose Menace. And they're like, there's so many bikes you could get that are so much cheaper than a Mongoose Menace and probably better. And I'm like, no, I need a Mongoose Menace because Matt Corkett's got a Mongoose Menace, and so I need a Mongoose Menace. So in the end, I did the most ridiculous deal of my life, and I went for the whole, like, Christmas and birthday thing. But it gets worse with my parents and my grandparents. So I gave up, like, four present opportunities to get this Mongoose Menace. And then the time, the day comes around where I'm going to get my Mongoose Menace, and it's, like, my birthday, birthday number, 11, 11th birthday. I don't know if that's 11... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I'm, like, opening my presents and things, like my one other present from my sister. And then, and then my parents wheel in my new bike, and they hadn't wrapped it or anything. And it turns out it's a green bike, but it's not a Mongoose Menace. It's like a cheap copy of a Mongoose Menace that doesn't even look like a Mongoose Menace. And they'd even gone to the shop and bought Mongoose stickers and put them on it. So it backfired for me. And I later found out that if I hadn't got the Mongoose Menace... I was going to get this really awesome remote control car that when you drive it at walls, flips over and then can drive on the other side as well. Thanks. <laughs> so, I missed out. Um, so, wanting new stuff, here's a link for you, wanting new stuff that everyone else has isn't a new thing. It's in the Bible. So we're going to read some Bible. So this is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And um, what's happening here is that the Israelites have, um, all the countries around them have got their own kings that are like ruling the countries. And the Israelites, things are a little bit different for them. And they're just ruled basically directly by God. And the high priest, this guy called Samuel, is like the guy that God speaks to. And then Samuel speaks to the people. And the people start seeing around them that everyone else is different. Everyone else has something they don't have. And they start to really, really want it. Um, so Samuel warns them that um, what's going to happen if you have a king. And um, it says this, the king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. Will make, or will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. 
He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He'll take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. And do you know what the Israelites' response is? Even so, we still want a king. So, so they didn't listen. It's in our like human nature. We see what other people have and we want it. And even though we know that that thing might not be good for us, it's not going to do us any good at all. In fact, we might even know that it's going to do us harm. So often we still go like, yeah, no, I still want it. Like, you know, when you're a kid and your mum's like, you're out of the shops and you're like, I want that one lolly. And your mum's like, you can't have that one lolly. And you're like, I really want that one lolly. And she's like, well, if you have that one lolly, then you're not having like any dessert for the rest of the week. And you're like, I want the one lolly. I'm having the one lolly. So you take the one lolly, and then you get home, and you don't get any dessert. And you're like, I can't believe I made that decision. But at the time, it felt so right. You know? So it's like, it's in our nature. It's the thing that we always do it. We love new stuff. So tonight, I want to have a little look at the subject of faithfulness. Um, this idea of being faithful to what God's entrusted to us. Someone's calling me. I'll stop that. And it's a big subject, being faithful in relationships with others, in our relationship with God, in the commitments we have to those around us. The Bible calls us to love God with everything we've got, to look after ourselves and also love our neighbours. And I guess in this like ever-connected world, probably that means not just the person living next door, but people that we're connected with all around the world, Right? What does it mean to be faithful in the mission that God has given us to tell others about him and to demonstrate his love through the way we live? Tonight, I particularly want to think about how we stay faithful in what God has put in front of us right now. So I know it's like such a big subject, being faithful, but I want to think about like how do we, as followers of Jesus, be faithful with the stuff that God has put right in front of us right now? So, as I said, Adam spoke last week on professional ambition, what it means to be ambitious in a, in a godly way. And he talked about this thing called convergence, this idea that um, when we're trying to make big decisions in our lives about what direction to go in and all that sort of stuff, there's these four areas of money, community, skill, and calling. And if you can get these four areas to kind of balance up and like cross over a little bit, sort of overlap, is that right? then you're probably making like an all right decision in where you're going. And many of us spend loads of our time trying to work out what we should do with our lives and what our big calling is. And Adam said last week that calling is more of a garden to play in than a tightrope to walk along. And I love that. I think so many of us spend so much time trying to work out like, what is the exact thing I'm meant to be doing when actually maybe it's more that it's like a garden that we get to play in, you know? I love that idea. So I have no idea what job you should do. I don't know if you should move to China as a missionary which is awesome, you should, maybe you should, I don't know if you should. It, some people do, and it's good, I think. I've never been. <clears throat> anyway. But, so I don't, I don't know what you should do with your, with your life. I don't know what job you should do and all that stuff. But um, a few years ago, a load of us went to this um, 24-7 prayer gathering, and um, I don't know why, but they bought tons of these polystyrene mats. Good purchase, I think. Yeah, still got loads of them, if you want any. Um, and they say this thing on it, pick a fight. And loads of events we do where we've got like hard floors, like here on now, we don't get the chairs out. Instead, we sit on these polystyrene mats. And every time I sit on them, I look at this thing, and it says, don't just sit there, pick a fight. And I love this. 
I love this idea that maybe sometimes what God wants us to do is just pick a fight. Not like pick a fight with like a bloke in the street, but like just pick something. Pick something in front of you and just like run at it. Just, just pick something and go for it. Pick a fight. So that's what I want to look at. How can we be the kinds of people that are faithful to the things that God has given us right now? Not to, let, not to say we let go of the big dreams, like that's really awesome and it's important to have those big dreams that we go for. But how do we, how do we be faithful to the stuff right in front of us right now? Because we can wait sometimes for the big stuff to happen and forget about life that's actually happening today, right? So we're going to have a look at the Bible again. This is Mark chapter 6. It's a story loads of you will know. Oh, it's on the screen. And it, this story is in every single one of the Gospels, the four books that tell the story of the life of Jesus. And um, should we read it? Here we go. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his, disciples, and his apostles didn't have any time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many, many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Is there more? There's not more. That's good. So the rest of the story goes on. That um, He teaches for ages. And then, um, and then the disciples come to him and they're like, we're in a really rural place. It's getting really late. People need to eat. Why don't you send all these people away and they can all like go to the shops and stuff, McDonald's, things like that. And they can get their food. And also then they'll be gone so we can chill. I think they were probably thinking as well. And, um, but Jesus turns around and he says, you give them something to eat. Now, these guys are understandably a little hesitant in this. It says that it would have cost them like six months wages to be able to get enough food for all these people to eat. So they're like, what the heck? So that he's like, you give them something to eat. And then they're obviously a little bit like, we're not really sure about that. So Jesus says, well, what have you got? So they all like scurry off and they, um, and they come back and they've got um, five loaves of bread and two fish. And um, in one of the versions, it talks about how it was a little boy's like, lunch that he had with him. That when we talk about this with the kids, they always point out that is an enormous lunch, isn't it? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Unbelievable. Anyway, so Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, really big boy, I think, takes his lunch, <laughs> and he thanks God for it. And then, and then he like, breaks it all up, and he shares it out to everyone. And at the end of it, the disciples go around and they collect up like 12 baskets full of leftovers. And I doubt that little boy, the morning he left the house, thought, I'll take a bit extra today, just in case I run into the Son of God and he needs me to give lunch to everyone. <laughs> Although it does sound like he took a bit extra, but not enough. <laughs> but he just when when, and I doubt either, when the disciples came up to him and said, have you got any food we can all eat together? I doubt he thought, actually, yeah, I've got enough for everyone. Yeah, I've got these five loaves and these two little fish. This will do it, probably. He probably felt like, I mean, yeah, yeah, got a little bit. Maybe thinking everyone else will probably chip in too, and then there'll be enough for everyone. But instead, it's just him. So he just gives his little bit, 
and it's enough to feed everybody else. And there's this thing, isn't there, of sometimes maybe we can feel like the little thing that we've got to bring isn't particularly significant or can't really be used in any real way. And I know this is a story that you probably did in Sunday school, but it has like massive meaning, you know? That idea that like the very little thing that you can bring, God can use in like massive ways, like huge ways. And, um, you know, there's this bit in Romans 5, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And that, that little thing the boy brings, I think there's a real significant thing there. I think when, when it says the, the thief comes to k- steal, kill and destroy, you know, the enemy wants you to think that you don't have enough to be used by God. Like, he loves it. Every time someone's like, oh, can, can you do this thing? Or you feel that little nudge from God, like, maybe I should, like, get involved. Like, the enemy loves it when you're like, nah, 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 I haven't got, I can't do it. Someone else left to do it, I can't do it. He loves that. Loves it when you think you're not smart enough, when you think you're not holy enough, not popular enough, not rich enough. Whatever he can make you believe to stop you stepping up, it's like a win. So, I guess the trick is, you can't believe those lies. You need to, like, bin them, right? And believe and remember that God uses those small things to do massive stuff. So, around this church, we, we are, we're in a place, we're a part of a community that people are doing absolutely amazing things. I was having a little think about it earlier on, just some of the different things that I know of that are, that are going around, around church, you know. And, and these aren't like official Emmaus Road activities. These are just people just doing stuff because they feel like they're just doing the thing in front of them. You know, there's, um, there's sick people being visited in hospital. Um, there's people standing up for what they believe in in their schools. Um, there's people lending a hand to just people who just need like a bit of extra support in loads of different ways. There's people volunteering their time to run the Alpha course like three times a year. It's basically constant. And most of them just volunteer because they just want to tell people about Jesus. Um, there's a bunch of people that visit teenagers in hospital that are struggling with self-harm. Amazing. There's people going into prisons. There's people... I get paid to do this, but there's a bunch of volunteers who do it as well that come and run a youth club on one of the estates and basically get sworn at for two hours every Thursday night. And they just do it because it's the thing in front of them and they're like, that's the fight I'm going to pick. You don't want to pick a fight with those guys, but, you know. So this invitation to, to, to like get stuck in by Jesus is not optional. It's a command to work out... I don't know what that says. That's a typo. Anyway, Jesus says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's, it's, it's not like an optional invitation to like get stuck in, to like do the thing in front of you. The reason he says Jerusalem, Judea, they're like, that's like the place they live in, you know? And he's like, just get stuck into whatever the thing is. Just do it. It's really simple. So, Romans 12 says this. He says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as, you, as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If he's given you leadership ability, take it seriously. If you've got a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know, you don't have to be an expert at anything. You don't have to be a pro-Christian. He just asks you to pick up whatever you've got. Pick up your lunch if you're that little boy, whatever it is, and just go and use it. It's real, real simple. Um, so last year, 
I ran a couple of marathons. Now, the first marathon I run was basically Misty Bauer convinced me that I should do it. So I ran this marathon. And the second marathon I ran was um, because my stepdad bought entrance to it as a Christmas present for me. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to do. And so he buys me this Christmas present, and I'm like, woo, thanks. And, um, so I'm like, got this thing. And he bought it before I even did the first one. So I did the first one knowing that in six months' time I had to do another one, which was awesome. So... So he buys me this thing, and it, like, it's getting closer and closer. And because I'd done the first one, I didn't really want to train for the second one because I sort of stopped running for, like, four months, really. And then it got, like, six weeks away from this marathon. And I'm like, I need to do something. Like, I've got, I've got to, like, at least go outside. <laughs> I need to, like, just go for a walk. <laughs> I just sat on the sofa. <laughs> so I, like, put my running shoes on and just kind of stick them out the door. <laughs> and then, like, slowly, like, I got running again. And the most I ran before the second marathon was, like, 10 miles. And a marathon's 26.2. So it wasn't very far. And um, I got to marathon day, and I like, started the race, and I got like first 10 miles. And I was like feeling all right. But then I got to the 15-mile mark. And if you've ever done any long-distance running, there comes a point where you know this is not going to end well. And I got to 15 miles, and I was like, nah, this is not my day. <laughs> and I was feeling really rough. So I pushed through a little bit further, got to about 20 miles, and just stopped. <laughs> but not voluntarily. I just couldn't go anymore. And I was like kneeling on the ground like that. <clears throat> and there's this thing you do when you're running and you don't want people to think you're worn out. You like go and pretend to have a wee and then you like pretend you're stretching. <clears throat> and then people come by and they're like, you're all right. And you're like, yeah, it's just my knee playing up again. I'm fine. Like that sort of stuff. And I'd like done all those tricks. And then I'm just laying on the pavement. <laughs> just on my back, just staring at the ceiling. Uh, ceiling it wasn't indoors staring at the sky and then this guy like came jogging up to me who was also struggling I think he used it as an excuse to stop but <laughs> B stopped I later found out his name was Kevin and he was like are you all right and I was sort of thinking of course I'm not all right I'm laying on the pavement staring at the sky but it was nice enough to ask me so I was like oh yeah I'm just struggling just needed a wee and so he goes, he goes, like, come on, get up, let's like, walk together a bit. So we like, walked for a little while. And then after a while, he was like, let's have a little jog. So we like, jogged together a bit. And then we, st then we picked up the pace a little bit. And the whole way, we like, ran together for the next 6.2 miles. And um, there were times when he was like, struggling a little bit as well. And I had to like, jolly him along. And then it happened the other way a lot. And, um, and we, we crossed the line together. I pushed him in front, obviously. <laughs> and didn't. I went first. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we like ran this thing together. And I know I've just told you loads of things, loads of like little stories of people that are doing all these things. They're just being faithful to what God's called them to. They've just picked the fight, the thing in front of them. But some of you might be sat here today being like, yeah, like I get all that. Like I get, I've just got to like pick a fight and I've just got to like just really go at it. But the thing is, like, I get it. Sometimes it gets, like, really, really hard, you know? Maybe you've been, like, volunteering on the kids' team for, like, 15 years or something, and you're just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> or you're like, you know, you've just been going to the, the same church that just doesn't encourage you, not here, obviously, but doesn't encourage you or something, and you're just like, oh, I feel like I've got to stick it out, but I'm just really struggling. Or maybe you're, like, just sticking at the same job, even because you feel like God wants you there, but you're just like, I just hate it. Or... Maybe you just like keep hanging out with the same like friend or family member or something that just like saps all your energy out of you, but you're like just gonna keep plugging away or whatever, you know? 
And I know that sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, this is just a bit, bit tough, you know? And I don't believe that what God wants for our lives is that we spend the whole time just sort of hanging on or slogging out at stuff that we hate. You know, Bear Grylls, my, my hero, is that a thing? <laughs> says, um, I don't think that is a thing, says um, that we want to thrive, not just survive, right? The Christian faith is not about just like slogging out and hanging on and trying to get to the end. We want to thrive, right? We want to grow. We want to move forward and all that stuff. And I get that. And this thing with the marathon, the reason I tell you that is this little journey we're on is not like a, it's not like a solo sport, you know? And sometimes we maybe think of it as like, I've got my own little personal mission. I just need to like keep plugging away. It'll be all right kind of thing. But it's the same with like endurance running. Like when you think of it as just, this is just my thing, just got to get in the zone. One, it's super boring. And secondly, you just, you just miss out on like all the support around you. When I did London Marathon, the thing that got me through was the fact that there were like hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know, maybe, like encouraging you and like cheering your name because you got it written on you, they didn't know me. And like, you know, just encouraging you along. And the Christian faith is not this like solo sport that we're on where we just kind of slog it out on our own and then we get to the end and like, that was fun, you know? It's like a community thing. Hebrews 10.24 says... Um, don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Like push each other on, like keep going. When you notice one of your friends is struggling, you like get them up, you push them along. You walk with them, jog with them, run with them. You know, you like keep them moving. And that's what it's about. So earlier on, we read about the Israelites getting distracted and wanting what everyone else had. Um, I told you a story about my friend Matt who had a mongoose menace and I got a fake copy. If you see my mum, reminder of that. The thing with both of these stories is that me and the Israelites, <laughs> yeah, the same thing, got, got so absorbed and distracted by what others around us were doing that we lost sight a little bit of like what we had or what we could have. More true for the Israelites than for me. Mine was just a bike. Actually, take me out of that illustration. But they got so distracted by what everyone else was doing that they completely lost sight of, like, the awesome situation they were in, right? And um, so the thing I basically want to leave you with tonight is um, don't get distracted by the things going on around you. And I don't mean, like, don't look at what other people are doing and don't, like, get energy from them or get, like, fired up about it. But I mean, it's so easy to spend our time looking at other people being like, that person got a new job, or like, that person's like, got to do this cool thing at church, or like, this person's like doing that or that, or whatever, getting these new opportunities, all those different things. And we lose sight of what God has put right in front of us. And so that's the thing I really just want to encourage you with tonight. Just look in front of you. What is the thing that God has put in front of you? And just jump on it. Pick a fight. <laughs> Again, pick a fight. Yep. Um, so Hebrews 12 says, Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. You know there are times when you'll be struggling and the key is you've got to keep focused on what it's all about, right? I think it's Hebrews 12 says that as well. Might be somewhere else. But it talks about like following Jesus as an endurance race. And if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, 
then we're just going to fail. We're going to fall. We're going to really struggle. And I guess the thing with whatever you're doing, whatever that thing is that God's put in front of you, if you forget why you're doing it, you just won't want to do it anymore. And then you'll just give up. So the key is you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, on the reason you're doing your thing. You know, I've been involved in this youth club on one of the estates in town for four years now, the, the whole time I've been in, in Guildford. Jazz Crown's been around. It's good, isn't it? It's really good. Really good. The Brewers, there's a little team of us. It's good fun. And we've been, involved, we've been doing this thing for a long time. And I think the other guys on the team will agree. There are nights where it's like, why are we doing this? Because you'll spend a night, you'll go to this thing, you'll like open up, open up the church building, get your tuck shop out, your PlayStation, and all the kids will come in and they'll just swear at you. They'll just be like the whole time just being like rude and angry. You kick half them out. Like, and you leave at the end sometimes feeling like, why are we doing this? Like, what's the point? And then every term or so, we'll get together, the team, and we'll have a little curry together at the brewer's house. And we'll all sort of like sit there like being like... How's the term been? And first we'll like go through some things like, ah, oh, that night was hard, wasn't it? Oh, do you remember when we did that one? That was horrible. Do you remember when Thingy threw that PlayStation controller at the bus? That sucked, didn't it? And all that sort of stuff. But then we'll remember that it's not about that stuff and that there were all these other things that happened, all these little conversations and like these little like moves forward that we made. And we remember why we do it. And we do it because we want these guys to understand what it means to be loved by God and to be loved by us as well. So it's about keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, on the reason you do your thing. Um, I want to tell you one last story, and then I'm done. And it's a story about my dad. If you know me at all, you've probably heard this story before, because um, it's one of, one of the reasons that I decided to do the sort of job that I do is because of my dad. And um, when I was a kid, um, I was about three, my parents split up. And um, my older sister was six, and my younger sister was one. And so my dad was a single dad with three kids under six. And he wanted to work out how could he serve God more. And we lived on this council estate in Southampton, and right in the middle of it was this massive tower block. And my dad, through a series of events, ended up going into this tower block and just, like, hanging out with the people there. And one day he ended up going in... Uh, meeting this lady called Marianne. And Marianne had three kids. She was a single mum and she'd like fell on some pretty hard times and she was like struggling. And she, um, he went to her house and she offered him a cup of tea and he took the cup of tea and then he sat on the sofa and he fell straight through the sofa. And, um, and he worked it out. I know what God wants me to do. She needs a new sofa. So he um, went to our little church that we went to and he put a notice in the, like the notices thing. And um, the next, in a couple of days, someone offered a sofa, just like gave a free sofa. So he took the sofa in his hand and he, um, he took it to the lady and he gave her the sofa and she was like ecstatic. It was it like changed everything for her. Not because she now had a sofa to sit on, but because she realized people cared, you know, like people wanted to help. And, um, you know, my dad, that was 20 years ago. And my dad over the last, over the last 20 years, um, he now runs the biggest furniture, clothing, and food bank in Hampshire. Um, they feed, clothe, and give furniture to 10,000 people every year. And um, they give presents. They give 16,000 Christmas presents out to kids that wouldn't get presents otherwise in, South, in the Hampshire area at Christmas every year. Crazy, right? 
And you know, if you've met my dad, you'll know he's about that big. And he's like round. And um, he's sort of going bald. And he's so short, you can really tell. And he grew up on a little council estate in Southampton. He loves to do DIY and draw trees. And uh, he drew a train once too. And, um, and he does these horrendous puppet shows, like really awful. He's a really normal guy. Bit weird, but really normal. And he has this like massive heart for people. And um, he's taught me more, I guess, than I'll ever know probably about what it means to care for people completely unconditionally. Like it doesn't matter to him like who they are or like what they've done or anything like that. Um, and you know, the, the thing is, my dad, when all this started, he had almost nothing. Like he'd just been through a divorce. He's got three kids to look after. He had almost nothing. Probably all he really had was that sofa he got given. Um, but he was faithful with that little thing. And, um, and now God is using him to do amazing things. And you know what? Even if that one piece of furniture, that one sofa, that one family had been where the whole thing ended, you know, like he gave that one, he gave the sofa to the family, the family were like, yay, thanks, got a sofa. And then he went back to his normal job. That would have been totally cool. Like he totally wouldn't have minded. It's fine, you know. And I know he still would have done it, definitely would have done it. Because the thing was, the reason he did it wasn't anything to do with what might grow out of it. He just saw the thing in front of him and he said, I'm going to be faithful to that. I feel like that's what God wants me to do. I'm just going to do that thing. And, you know, for me, following Jesus, that's how I want to live my life. I want to be faithful with whatever God gives me. And, you know, maybe it will change as I go along, right? And I'll, like, do different things. But, you know, if God calls me to be the youth pastor at Emmaus for the rest of my life, I guess that's what I'll just carry on doing, right? I don't mean that path. We'll talk about it, obviously. We'll talk about that later when we get home. We're moving to South America, probably, aren't we? But if God wants us to stay, we'll stay, obviously. <laughs> so let's be the kind of people that live like the thing that God has put in front of us is the thing we're going to do forever, right? Let's live like that neighbor you're going to help out is like the main priority in your life. That's like the thing you're going to do. And if God calls you under other things, then that's awesome as well. But let's live like the people in front of us are our, like, priority. They're the people we're going to serve. They're the people we're going to look after. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It means like caring about the people in front of you. And just to finish, you know, I know that the like, the temptation <laughs> is constantly to like see what other people are doing. And to be like, nah, I'm just going to do those things. Like the Israelites, you know, they got like so focused on the fact that people around them were doing it differently that they just wanted to do it differently as well. But I encourage you to, like, just stay faithful to the thing that God has put you, has caused you to. And I know sometimes it feels, like, difficult to keep going. But like with my dad, you know, he just, like, stuck with it, and God blessed it massively. So that's that. Amen.